Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever has written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ has also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The question before us this morning is this. What kind of church does God want us to be? All right, let me ask it again. What kind of church does God want us, New City Fellowship, to be? Back in late February, Laurie and I were making plans for 2021. We waited until February because, like last year, it seemed like you just couldn't make plans, right? Because everything was so uncertain. But by February, we started to have a little bit of hope. Why? Because these vaccines were beginning to roll out, and we thought, great, now we're going to see more and more things opening up as the year progresses. And so we started to make plans. But living in a small town in South Carolina, we didn't have hope that we would get the vaccines in our small rural area. We assumed that it would probably be like the middle of the summer or maybe toward the fall by the time we would have access to these things called vaccines. But all that changed on March 5th. What happened on March 5th? Well, someone from the library sent out a message and they said this. They said, the hospital is administering shots at the fairgrounds today for people 65 and older. But nobody's here. And they have to use up the vaccine today or it's going to go bad. Laurie and I looked at each other and we thought, well, we didn't really feel right about cutting in line in front of the 65 plus crowd. But the fact that, that it was all going to go to waste, the fact that they had a surplus, the fact that they had an overflow, meant that we actually could go to the fairgrounds. And so we drove to the fairgrounds that day, March 5th, and got our first of the vaccine shots. You see, Laurie and I, in that moment, we experienced something. We experienced something unexpected. We experienced something that we didn't actually hope for. We experienced an overflow of hope. We experienced an overflow 
with hope. And that, that's the title of the message today. Overflow with hope. That's the kind of church God wants us to be. See, we should be so full of hope that it overflows into the lives of others. So full of hope that it overflows into the lives of people in Orangeburg, in the surrounding region, and even out to the whole world. In our passage this morning in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out seven characteristics that we're going to observe of a church that overflows with hope. What does it look like to be a people who overflow with hope? Number one, here's what it looks like. A patient community. Look with me at verse one. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Well, it begs the question, who are the strong? Well, in context, if you remember from last week and the week before, the strong are the ones, not who are the super Christians, not the ones with the cape, right? The strong are the ones who simply are living in light of the grace of God. They're simply living in light of the grace of God. They're no longer depending on their performance to feel like they're okay with God, but they're just depending on His mercy and His grace. That's the strong. So you have to be weak to be strong. right? You have to receive God's grace to be strong in this context. Their strength fully comes from resting in Christ. Because we realize that Christianity is not about continuing to observe rules and regulations, but it's about living by faith. It's about living by faith, trusting day by day in what God is going to give to me, what God has given to me. Everything I have, all the goodness that I have is from Him, is in Him. And so the strong have an obligation. The strong in faith have an obligation to be patient. To bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. Most people use their strength for themselves. Most people use their strength and they spend all of their time and their money and their energy on winning at life. But Christianity has a different vision for strength. Christianity has a different vision for, for strength, and, and, and it's, it's vastly different than what the world says. Because here, the strong are obligated to bear with the weaknesses of those who don't have strength. To patiently wait and endure. To make room for those who struggle in their faith. For those who struggle with legalism. For those who struggle with being licentious. To be patient. To be a patient community. The church should be a community like this. If you're full of faith, if you're here today and you're strong in faith and you trust in Christ fully and you're, you're moving and you're, you're growing, the goal of your strength is not to come and win at church. 
The goal of your faith is not to come and be known or noticed. Rather, it should be laid down in the service of those who have weaknesses, of those without strength. We should be looking for ways to patiently demonstrate a life full of grace to one another, especially to those who struggle. Our church should be a place where people can freely struggle. Let me say that again. Our church should be a place where people can freely struggle. Not live in sin, not never repent. That's, don't hear me saying that. But struggle. You didn't have your act together when Jesus first called you. And neither, do, neither does anyone else. You still don't have your act together. And neither do I. Why? Because the strong live by faith. Right? It's not the strong who have it all together. It's the strong who trust in the strong foundation. And so we need to be a patient community, bearing with one another in the messiness of life. A lot of people are afraid to walk through those doors because they feel like they're going to be judged as soon as they walk through those doors. And that's not necessarily our fault. It's just the way the church is. It's the way the church is, unfortunately, in America. And maybe it is partly our fault. Maybe there's ways that we, as those strong in faith, need to be more patient as a community. To bear with the weaknesses of those who struggle. Lord God, make us a patient community. Number two, make us an encouraging community. Verse 2, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. See, all of our actions in life are to be for our neighbor's good. All of our actions are not to be self-serving, but to serve and to build up others. We don't just sit around bearing with one another, tolerating one another. No, we, we actively pursue one another. We pursue those who need help, those who need to be strengthened, those who need a friend, those who need a shoulder to cry on. We go to people. We are an encouraging community. We might lift up one another and support one another. The Christian life is about strengthening others. Not about just strengthening yourself. Not about just getting your life together, which we do. We need to get our lives together. But if that's your focus, you've missed Christianity. It's about being an encouraging community. And it's our obligation to lead by serving. It's our obligation to lead by serving. I want you to imagine a race. And at this race, let's say it's the, uh, the Festival of Roses 5K, which I've run in, some of you have run in, uh, uh, jogged in, some of us have jogged in. Um, the Festival of Roses 5K. And let's imagine that the world's fastest distance runner shows up. All right, And he shows up a few days early, and so the media comes out, and there's this frenzy around this world's fastest runner who's going to run in the Orangeburg 5K. The cameras are rolling. All eyes are on him. 
The race begins, and he's out front, leading the pack. But then, something changes. He slows down, and he begins delivering water to all the other runners. He's so fast that he can run back, deliver water, and run up, and deliver water, and run back. And so he's going back and forth, and back and forth. He's encouraging the other runners. He's saying, you guys can do it. You can do it. This is, isn't this fun? Aren't we having a great time? And they're like, yeah, yeah, this is great. And, and he's saying, you can do it. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Dig deep. He's the fastest. But what's he doing? He's running around serving everyone. He's using his strength not to win the race in record time, but he's using his strength to go back and to help other people. Now, that's ridiculous, right? No one would ever do that. But that's what we're called to as Christians. We're called to use our strength to build up our neighbors. We're called to use our strength, whatever our strength is, to build up our neighbors. Lord God, make us a patient and an encouraging community. And make us a biblical community. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we might have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. Why should we be patient with the weak? Why should we encourage our neighbor? Why? Because even the Son of God, even the Son of God was patient and encouraging. He was like that runner. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he, he, he lived his life the, the very best that it could possibly be lived. In fact, the Scripture says he was without sin. And yet, he took that and he was patient with, with all the other runners. He was encouraging to all the other runners. If the strongest possible person to ever live, lived a life not to please himself, then that's what he calls us to do too. To follow his lead. But how do we even know about Jesus. Notice what the scripture does here. It says these words, as it is as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That scripture is a prophecy about Jesus, who would come and who would take on the insults that we deserved on himself. The insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me, God says, in the person of Jesus. He takes your insult for you. And, and he took our insults all the way to the cross. He took our insults all the way to the cross. The curse that should have fallen on us instead fell on Jesus on the cross. And we know about this. We know Jesus loves me. Why? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. See, God has given us the Scripture for our instruction, to tell us what He's like, 
to tell us what our Savior is like. As it is written, means that we should be a biblical community. That we should be looking to God's word for life and for faith, for hope, for endurance, for encouragement to be built up and filled up to overflowing. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to read scripture. You've got a Bible. You got one on your phone maybe. Read scripture. Today, open up this passage, Romans 15, 1 through 13, and just read through it this afternoon. Take some time to slow down and read the scripture. Meditate. Take it in. Ask God, what does it mean for me? What are you saying to me through this word? You don't need secret knowledge. You don't need to join a secret society. You don't need a decoder ring. You just need to read the Bible. Because we need to be a biblical community. A community that looks to God's word for our hope, for our encouragement, for our endurance, to be guided and oriented around the word of God. Lord, make us a patient, encouraging, and biblical community. And make us a worshiping community. Look at verse 5. And now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. How do we live in harmony? It's one of the things that we all long for. We all desire. And many times churches will try to focus on harmony. And try to focus on unity. And they'll try to get together with other churches and say, let's have unity. Let's have, let's have diversity. Let's have, uh, let's have a focus on these things. But the problem is, brothers and sisters, if you aim for unity, you'll miss. If you aim for harmony, you'll miss. Why? Because, look at verse 5. It says, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony. See, harmony is not something you can manufacture. It's something that must be given by God. It's something that, that is a byproduct of something else. Well, what is that something else? Well, if we keep reading, we see that that something else is found in verse 6. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. See, it's really all about worship. It's really all about everyone who believes orienting their lives around the one who is worthy. And it's none of us. He is the one who is worthy. And so he calls us in to be a worshiping community. A community that seeks to glorify God. To bring glory to God. And in this act of worship, celebrating the greatness of God, that is when Christ gives us the gift of unity. That is when Christ gives us the gift of harmony. I want to tell you a story about when I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. And our church went on a mission trip to Mexico. And 
in Mexico, we were there to serve. We were there to just sweat a lot and do whatever the missionaries and the local churches needed help with. And so they had us uh, laying bricks at a, at a church they were building and at a school that they were helping to construct for the community. We organized, they organized a vacation Bible school for kids, and we were out there sweating and doing our best to speak in broken language, our broken Spanish. And I'll never forget that Sunday of the week that we were there. We attended worship at a local Presbyterian church. Now, our home church here in Orangeburg, which some of you know, at that time, had a very traditional style of music. There were hymns that were played with an organ and a piano. It was very structured and very European um, model, which is good. That's culture, right? It's good. But when we went to Mexico and when we were in worship with the Mexican Presbyterians, things were different. See, it was loud. There were electric guitars. There were drums. There were people clapping and swaying and shouting to God at a Presbyterian church in Mexico. And I remember as a 16, 17-year-old standing there in the row, kind of trying to sing along with the lyrics. And I remember having an epiphany. Because I looked up and down the row, and I saw my elders from my home church who were there with us on the mission trip. I saw uh, the young people in our youth group and probably 25 or 30 people from our church who were there. And they weren't sitting here like this. You know what they were doing? They were clapping their hands. They had their hands up in the air. They were singing to the best that they could this different language on the screen. They were worshiping God. They were glorifying God. And I had this epiphany. I couldn't help but think, man, if we were doing this, if we asked our music leader back home about having some drums to communicate musically to our community, there would have been a fight. People would have split the church. What was different in Mexico? What was different is that we weren't focused on our preferences. We were focused on the mission that God had called us to. We were focused on glorifying God and worshiping Him. And that is what brought harmony. That is what brought unity. And brothers and sisters, it's the same thing today. There's nothing wrong with traditional worship. There's nothing wrong with loud and drums worship. But what's wrong is when we let those things define our core of, what we, of who we are as believers and not the glory of God and not worshiping God. Lord God, make us a patient, encouraging, biblical, and worshiping community. And make us a welcoming community. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. Honestly, there, 
There aren't that many welcoming places in this world. Think about it. There aren't that many places in the world where you can just walk in and feel received and welcomed. I mean, mean, probably Chick-fil-A comes the closest. Chick-fil-A is welcoming, right? But, but, but that person, that, that staff person is paid to say, it's my pleasure, right? They, they're, they're paid to say, it's my pleasure, and it's nice, and I appreciate it, honestly, I do. I appreciate the niceness, but niceness is not real. See, welcoming is more than being nice, Being a welcoming community doesn't mean being a nice community. If you break down the Greek word here that's translated welcome, it means to move towards someone to receive them. To move towards someone to receive them. That's what it means to welcome. Welcoming is not passive niceness. It's not our southern hospitality. That's not what it is. It's moving toward people with open arms, with a willingness to accept people where they are in life and to love them and to love them into the family, to love them into the kingdom, to love them into repentance, to love them into Christ's embrace. That's what it means to be welcoming. Welcoming requires an openness to get a little bit dirty. It requires an openness to get some of their dirt on you and to get some of your dirt on them. That's what it means to be a welcoming community. And if you're more worried about the cleanliness of your house and the breakableness of your things than you are of the people who might make a mess or who might break something, then you've missed the point of being welcoming. Because God wants us to welcome one another. How? Just as Christ also welcomed you. And Jesus, Jesus didn't wait for you to get yourself cleaned up before he came to you, right? The scripture says that you were dead in your sins and trespasses when he came into your life and made you alive. When he gave you the faith to receive him. To wake up like Lazarus from the dead. And yes, we're dirty. Yes, we're messy. But Jesus Christ welcomed us. And so he calls us to be a welcoming community too. To welcome people who might break things. Look, this summer, we're hosting a camp. And we tried to host it at the other building over here. Because they have lots of concrete walls. And none of our stuff is over there, okay? I'm just being real with you. All right? Well, here's what happened. Thursday, the president of the denomination here at this college called me and said, we had to close the building because of air quality. Because of mildew, they had a leak and it's all messy. They can't, the air quality is bad. They had to close it. And I thought, oh no, what are we going to do? And so... My wife and I came over here and we sort of looked around and we thought, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God gave us this thought. We need to host it here at the gym. We don't have classroom space. We'll make classroom space. And so 
in the next three weeks, we are going to renovate those two classrooms. We're going to add a wall right back here and create a classroom backstage so that we have three classrooms in this building. And we're going to invite 30 children from our community to come and learn about how to read and to come and learn about the love of Christ in this building. Amen. Now look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be messy. Okay, stuff is going to get broken. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. It is, stuff is going to get broken. These curtains are going to get pulled down. Lord, protect the curtains. But the curtains are going to get pulled down. I just know they maybe. But that's not the point, right? What's the point? The point is we are going to welcome these kids and their families and we're going to love them and serve them and share Christ with them as we're able. That wasn't in my sermon notes. That was just a Holy Spirit moment right there. Amen. Amen. I might be Presbyterian, but I can flow with the Spirit. You know, it's all right. Lord, make us patient. Make us an encouraging a biblical, a worshiping, and a welcoming community. And number six, make us a missional community. Look at verse eight. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised, the Jews, on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers. And so that the Gentiles, the outsiders, May glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people praise you. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. That's Jesus. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in Him. What was the key word? What did you hear over and over? The Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the outsiders. See, God wants His church to be a missional community. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to come and to fulfill the promises to the Father, but they were not expecting the Messiah to come for the Gentiles. They were not expecting Jesus to come for people that made them very, very, very uncomfortable. They were not expecting Jesus to come for those outside, but just for us. But He did. And not only did He come, but it was throughout the whole Scripture. The Apostle Paul here is citing 2 Samuel, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. From every major section of the Old Testament, God has been saying all along, hey, salvation is for the Gentiles too. Hey, salvation is for the outsiders too. All through the Old Testament, Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is revealing this to them and saying, look, the Gentiles were always predestined for inclusion. Because the mission of God was going to go to the whole world. To the whole world. And so today, that is part of the mission that we have to, to, to look outward to everyone who God might call to faith and to repentance. Jesus' last words to his disciples, he told them to go and make disciples. And that's our mission. To go from this building, to go from your home, and to make 
disciples, to let people know that there's a God in the universe who made them and loves them and cares for them and who will forgive them and not leave them in their guilt and shame, but will free them because of His own sacrifice, His own mercy. Our job is to go and make disciples, to be a missional community. And you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to do this together, right? We've been hosting these yard parties. And what's the point of the yard party? Well, last week at the Snyders, we had 60 people there at the yard party. We had 40 people from the neighborhood show up in their front yard And we were able to engage them in a relationship. We were able to to talk with them. We were able to to dance like crazy people with them. Amen, sister. We were able to break the ice with people who, some of whom don't know Jesus. Some of whom need to be brought in to His kingdom. They need to know what real love is. And so, we have an opportunity on these yard parties. And this week, we're going to be at the Robinson's house. So y'all come. Because you know what? There were 40 neighbors there last week, but there was only 20 church members. And so let's be there. Be there this week so that we can get to know people. So that we can be a missional community together. Because Jesus didn't just come for you. And He didn't just come for me. He came for our neighbors. He came for the Gentiles. He came for those outside our camp. Lord God, make us a patient, encouraging, biblical, worshiping, welcoming, and missional community. And make us a hopeful community. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what God's doing? God wants to fill you with joy and peace as you believe in Him, as you trust in Him so that your life might overflow to the lives of others, that we would be a overflowing community, a hopeful community, community because these are hopeless days. Uh, People are struggling. Having gone through a a year of isolation and pandemic and distance, people are eager for community. They are eager to be loved and cared for. But not only that, to receive the hope, the hope that Christ gives us of full forgiveness and acceptance of peace with God and joy in the Spirit. Now more than ever, we need to be hopeful. We need to be filled with joy, with the love of God who calls us each by name. Filled with the peace of Christ who tore down the dividing wall of hostility, who made peace with His own blood on the cross. And we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who makes us willing and ready and able to be a hopeful community. God's Spirit will fill us and empower us to do this work. And as we are filled 
hope will overflow. Church, as we are filled, hope will overflow. Just like the COVID-19 vaccine, (laughs) there will be an abundance. And everybody who receives it will get immunity from God. Everyone who receives it will get forgiveness and a new lease on life from God. The virus of sin and death will have no effect on you. For all who receive this gift of God, this gift of hope, people will line up for a shot of hope. People will line up for a shot of hope. And our church, New City Fellowship, will be like the library staff. We will be like the library staff, reaching out to people and saying, hey, we have immunity and, we're, and we have an overflow. There's an abundance of it here. Come and get, your, come and get yours. <laughs> come and receive what God has for you. The hope of Christ for all nations. It's a vision, isn't it, of what God wants his people to be, what God wants his church to be. Lord God, make us a patient and encouraging, a biblical, a worshiping, welcoming, missional, and hopeful community. Let's pray. Father, let your kingdom come. Lord, I am so challenged by this scripture today and just all the different ways that you have designed your body to be the church. Lord, I pray that that we would be able to see it come to fruition, that we would all grab hold of the vision that you have for us in your word. Lord, that we would be that kind of church patient, encouraging, grounded in your word, worshiping, welcoming to those outside, missional, and hopeful to overflowing. Lord, make us like that. Lord, may each of us do our part in the body. Lord, raise up your people for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.